unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. After a week off, a little load management for yours truly. Back in the saddle, ready to do it again. On this week's show, our pleasure to welcome Rini Angolia, ESPN College Football Analyst. As things start to get towards November and getting serious in college football, we will break it all down with Rini. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. And guess what? Yep, I'm going to fanboy over the Braves. Making it back to the World Series. Winning Game 6 on TBS, by the way, which, of course... TBS carried the Braves from the late 70s into the early 2000s. Our friend Eric Lopez sent me the theme song they used in the late 90s, one of the great uh, baseball broadcast theme songs there is. And Yep, the Braves are in against the Houston Astros. Game one Tuesday night. And the Braves finally got past the Dodgers. After uh, on the third time around in the playoffs, you know, and after they blew that game three lead and lost that game, everybody said, "Up, oh, they'll never recover." They bounce back and win the next night, lose the next night, but come back and get it at home in Game Six. Tyler Madsick, was that amazing? Seventh inning after Luke Jackson, who I never trusted in a big spot all year. Runners second and third, nobody out. Tyler Madsick strikes out the side, including the capper with Mookie Betts. Oh my goodness gracious. That was some big steel stuff right there from Mr. Madsick. And of course, Eddie Rosario, what a performance. 14 hits tying an NLCS record on his way to the MVP. So, yes. First time for my Braves in the World Series since 1999. Yep, we're going to party like it's 1999 in 2021. Again, game one against the Astros. And that's good. That should be a tremendous series. The Astros, obviously, uh, they are scorned for their cheating back in 17. But uh, they have still put good teams out there. And in, you know, Dusty Baker... That one thing that's eluded him is winning a World Series as a manager. And I've always been a Dusty Baker fan. All he does all he does is win wherever he goes. He was a former Braves player back in the day with Hank Aaron. So some love for him. But uh, I, I hope he has to wait just a little bit longer to get to that. And of course, as I mentioned, you know, TBS carried the Braves when Ted Turner uh, bought the team in the late 70s. And he put them on. Channel 17 in Atlanta locally, which started getting carried by cable systems and thus became the Superstation. And can't help but uh, think about uh, good old Ernie Johnson, Skip Carey, Pete Van Weeren, late Don Sutton. All four of them have uh, are now up in heaven, smiling above. And uh, the Braves broadcasts on TBS were awesome. And you got exposed to all of them because they split, they rotated the announcers. And they also split time between radio and TV. So first half of the game, you got uh, maybe uh, Ernie and Skip. Second half, you would get Pete. Uh, I guess, of course, back in the back in those days, uh, John Sterling was on. 
uh, quite a bit. Uh, Don Sutton didn't come in until the 90s when he uh, retired from baseball. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that, that brought back some great memories uh, here in the old TBS music and whatnot. And you know that I'm a fanboy of the TV themes, especially sports broadcast TV themes. Well, my Dallas Cowboys were off this week, so it was kind of nice to have a stress-free Sunday. And I typically watch the uh, Red Zone with Andrew Siciliano on DirecTV. Uh, you know, usually Cowboys play a lot of 4 o'clock games, so I'll get to watch the 1 o'clock stuff, which is really when it's at its best, especially that last half hour from like 3.30 to 4.15 when the games are coming down to the, to the closes. Uh, but some thoughts on... Action in yesterday's tilts, Green Bay, Washington. And I look at the Washington football team. Is Tyler Henneke not a poor man's Ryan Fitzpatrick? Except he doesn't have the Fitz magic because, you know, guy's got some moxie. He plays hard. You can tell his teammates love him. And he makes some good plays, but he just doesn't have doesn't have stay, staying power. Becomes a turnover machine. Much like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who will play like a top five quarterback, and then the next minute, you know, he's throwing five picks. And uh, the Washington football team lost to the Packers yesterday. They had their chances. Five trips inside the red zone where they just couldn't get it done. Arizona Cardinals now 7-0. and They are a good football team. And I will have to say, <laughs> with a fired college football coach and... A smallish quarterback. I didn't think they'd be this good, but here they are. And now I will say about Kyler Murray, you know, what what he lacks in stature, he makes up with it with tons of ability. And you kind of look at, you know, the running quarterbacks in the league, look at Lamar Jackson, you look at Kyler Murray. And what Kyler Murray can do that Lamar Jackson can't is pass. He is a very accurate passer. Lamar Jackson's still working on that part of his game. And Kyler Murray's to me, every bit is equal. Both are extremely fast uh, running the football, and they make great plays with their feet. But uh, Arizona, a team to contend with. And Tom Brady, 600 touchdown passes. <laughs> That's insane. That's just ridiculous. So you look at Tom Terrific. Those are the 600, uh, 600th touchdown pass to Mike Evans, who takes the ball... And gives it to a fan in the stands. Guy was wearing a, a number 13 jersey, so I guess that was was why he got the ball. Of course, Mike Evans, I guess, did not know it was number 600. So representatives of the Bucks go up and uh, negotiate with the fan to get the football back. So he's going to get like two signed Brady jerseys, a helmet, uh, like a $1,000 gift card, some Mike Evans cleats, game-worn, just a stash of stuff. And then uh, I saw today Chris Torello from uh, uh, Spectrum Sports had tweeted, well, when Brady throws number 700, you can negotiate for a part ownership stake in the team. <laughs> and I started to think about that. That's abs- it's absurd. He'll never get to se- 700. No, it's Brady. He'll, he'll get there because everything he's doing now is just totally... Mind-blowing. And a quick note from college football before we get to uh, Rini and Golia, and we'll probably have to chat with them about this as well. Penn State, Illinois, nine overtimes. Now, the overtime rules have changed, so after the second one, 
it's all two-point conversion tries from there on out. So basically, they've taken the college football overtime and made it soccer penalty kicks. It's fewer plays than starting at the 25-yard line, so they're trying to minimize the amount of time these kids are out on the field. But is it football? You know, because even the 25-yard line tiebreaker, I'm not entirely sold on either because you 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 go from playing the game 100 yards and shrink it down. So, I don't know. My thoughts on that are, are just that, to, to me... The NFL overtime is better. You play 10 minutes, and if it's a tie, it's a tie. All right, time to break down college football as we uh, get down to the nitty-gritty heading towards the month of November. Joining us now to do that, our friend Rini Angolia from ESPN. Rini, how are you, sir? Good, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being on. And uh, as I said, we're we're getting down to brass tacks in college football. Want to uh, cover that in detail? But first, let's look at a couple of things from this uh, past weekend: uh, the Penn State Illinois game, which was the nine overtime affair after the second uh, uh, possession. It's uh, two point conversions uh, to try to determine the winner. To me, it's a lot like a college football, uh, college soccer, or uh, penalty kicks, if you will. Uh, what is your thought on the overtime situation? Yeah. And being that I have two daughters that play soccer, I hate when it goes to penalty kicks. It's a horrible way to end the game. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and I, I get it. You know, that rule was put in this year. It's a player safety issue because if you – what they did was they broke it down, those overtime games that went seven, eight overtimes with four, six overtimes, and the players were playing, you know, 130, 140, 150 snaps, and it was just too many. So they figured, well, let's go to the two-point conversion. And uh, so I get it. I understand the rule now. You know, because they went 10 straight possessions with no scores, right? Five for Illinois, five for Penn State. Everyone's kind of poo-pooing it. You know, I would say if, if they were trading scores, people would have thought it was a lot more exciting. That's just not the way it happened. If you're a defensive junkie, you were happy with it. Um, so I think it's just one of those things, Jeff, we just have to get used to. I think everyone will be fine with it. Um, and, and it is what it is. And I don't know. I kind of thought it was exciting. I watched it. And, again, give kudos to the defense. And, you know, one of the hardest plays in college football is is the two-point conversion. Most offensive coordinators have two or three that they work on specifically for two-point conversions in their back pocket. Well, you know, in a nine-overtime game, you got to go into that a ton. And, again, people ask, well, why is it so hard? Because you're at the three-yard line. Uh, it's 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 less room for the offense to operate. You have the back of the end zone. The end zone, the end line is another defender, so it's tough. And, and it showed it. I think that's why the defense had the advantage. But Illinois got it done when they had to and, and got the big upset. Of course, how do you uh, like it compared to the pro rule? Now I know you know the the professionals. It's a different story, but they are at least they're they're, they're at least playing a full football field. You know, so how do you how do you like it compared to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with the 25-yard line. Um, Any way you do it, I I really don't have a problem with it as long as you're giving someone a chance to win. I didn't have a problem with the 25. I I guess if you wanted to, you could say, well, instead of going to two-point conversions after that second overtime, let's just put the ball at the 10-yard line and just give them a real short field, you know. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Those are the rules. And, hey, I don't have a problem with the NFL one either. And I, I like what the NFL did when they tweaked it to give both teams at least an opportunity, right? You go down and score, um, the other team gets a chance uh, back with the ball. And I think that's that's a good method, too. So, 
It's a definitely certainly an interesting topic uh, to, that has drawn a lot of attention based on this uh, game this uh, last weekend, that's for sure. So, you know, we've had a lot of chaos in college football this year, and I believe it was your tweet that I saw, what was it, 51 ranked teams have been beaten this season? Yeah, I actually went through, and there were some other people that uh, they had talked about it a couple of weeks ago when I think it was 40, so I went back and counted and obviously it was 51 after this week. And then I said, well, let me go back and see how many got beat by unranked teams. And I was surprised. I think I, I think my number came up, which was 29 of those 51 were beaten by unranked teams at the time of the game. And that's that's pretty high. I didn't think it was going to be that high. I thought it was going to be like 17, 18. But, yeah, 29 teams were unranked beating ranked teams. So that right there tells you the chaos. And I think that's why, Jeff, we love college football so much because you, we do kind of get that chaos. And this year – uh, maybe a little bit more so than than previous years, and I, I just I just think it's great. I think you know it's great that that Alabama got knocked off by Texas A and M, and it just just brings a lot more teams into it. So I just think it's an exciting year, and, and we're in store for a real exciting finish here down the stretch. Yeah, and uh, you know, speaking of Alabama. Uh, they have now jumped Oklahoma in, into the number three in the in the AP poll after their uh, uh, late blowout win over Tennessee. So Alabama certainly clearly in the picture. And do you think Alabama can serve? Uh, do you think they'll still be in if they get two losses? I I think they still have a shot. <laughs> That's the fascinating thing. You know, you're reading my mind, Jeff. So of course we know the the voting now is the AP, and I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything because it means something. But of course. In about, I think it's 10, 9 days, and you probably know better than I do, uh, we'll get the first CFP playoff ranking. That'll be very telling to see what they do with Cincinnati if, if, uh, since he's undefeated, which they should be going into that, to that first ranking. So if they put Cincinnati four in that first ranking, I think that's big problems for Cincinnati. And I'm with you, Jeff. If, if Alabama runs the table, right, the rest of the way, and they go to the conference championship, the SEC championship, and let's say they lose to obviously the number, which would still be the number one ranked Georgia team. And let's say it's a good game. They lose by seven. They lose by 10. They lose by three. How do you not put them in, right? Even with two losses. And I know the undefeated Cincy and those schools are going to just scream and people are going to scream. But at the end of the day, I think people lose sight with what the college football playoff committee is charged with. It specifically says that you do not put in the four most deserving teams. Because you can argue at the end of the day when it's all said and done, if since he ends up undefeated, they're deserving, right? They're very deserving uh, of being in there. But they are charged with putting the four best teams in there. And they can use whatever metric they want, the playoff committee. So it's fascinating once we get here. And that's why I think ultimately, Jeff, whatever happens – if Cincy ends up getting left out again, if an Alabama gets knocked out, if another Power Five gets knocked out, I think we can agree there's going to be one, two, or three teams that don't get in where people are going to have a legitimate argument about. And because of that, I think it's just going to push us uh, quicker to a 12-team playoff, which is coming, I think, uh, relatively shortly yeah you know and it's interesting because you know uh just to say if things were you know continue as they are and you know we still could see a lot more chaos between now and then but you know you could be legitimately looking at six teams for those four spots 
you know, Oregon can be in the picture because, you know, hey, they they beat Ohio State. And, you know, and yeah. Ohio State uh, can have a seat at the table. The SEC is likely going to get two teams in. Uh, so it, it really becomes a... a, a uh, such a such a crazy situation uh, that could uh, unfold if everything if everything plays out. But then again, with the fifty one ranked teams being <laughs> being beaten this year, we could still be in store for a lot more chaos. And I and I, and I think we are. I think there's going to be multiple more upsets from here to the end of the season. So uh, it's going to be a wild finish. I really believe that. I, I don't really think any team is safe. I mean, Ohio State is playing great football now since they lost to Oregon, but. You know, that Big Ten East is, is kind of a juggernaut this year, right? And so this is where it gets real good because now they all have to play each other. Starts this week with Michigan, I believe it's Michigan, Michigan State this yep. week. And, you know, Penn State's got to play those teams. Ohio State's got to play those teams. So it's going to get really good. Uh, the SEC is always good. Um, and, you know, and the, the one thing for Cincinnati, which I actually think hurts them, Jeff, I think the American is down this year, right? UCF's not having the year they normally have. Memphis isn't having the year they normally have. SMU's having a good year. They may have to play SMU twice, um, you know, towards the end of the year. So, uh, but I think that actually hurts Cincy when you look at strength of schedule and, and, and teams that you've beaten that are ranked or teams that you've, be, you've beaten really just with a winning record. So, at the end of the day, I think that's going to end up hurting Cincy with the committee. Yeah, you know, in Cincinnati, you know, the Navy game notwithstanding, you know, they did what people said they should do, go out and get style points. And we know Navy can kind of, you know, be a, be a thorn in the side and, and, and make a game ugly for you. Uh, but Cincinnati is probably doing everything that, quote unquote, they are being asked to do. <laughs> they, they are. Listen, they got to hope Notre Dame keeps winning and Notre Dame looks good. So I think they're in good shape there. Unfortunately, Indiana didn't have the year they were hoping uh, they had. It's still a big a power five win, but at the end of the day, I don't think Indiana, I'm not sure what their record is, but they're going to be really close to having a winning record, 500, or just on the other side of a losing record. So, uh, But we'll see. All you can do if you're Cincy is just, and Luke Fickle is just keep playing and just keep winning, right? Yeah, that's all. All you can do is do what's in front of you. And, and uh, you know, and again, I think they, they still fall into that same boat that the UCF was in that, uh, you know, because they, they told UCF, well, if you go undefeated again, sure, why not? And and that turned <laughs> out not to be true either. So uh, it's it, it's crazy stuff out there. Um, off the field news, realignment. Uh, boy, you know, who, who thought when Oklahoma and Texas left for the FCC that the dominoes would fire and fall rapidly like they yeah. have. So, you know, uh, three teams from the AAC along with BYU are going to the Big 12, and now six Conference USA schools are going to go to the AAC with a seventh going to the Sun Belt. Uh, so Conference USA looks like the one that's getting uh, totally uh, ripped apart in this whole scenario. Yeah, and it's not over. I'm sure a couple more will end up defecting and going to the Sun Belt. Listen, I did an interview uh, right after Oklahoma and Texas, and, and that kind of caught everybody flat-footed, you know, Jeff. And from there, these conference commissioners and the schools themselves had to be proactive. And by proactive, you're not looking for your program and your conference next year, year after, two years down the road. You're looking for stability 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And so, you know, a lot of people um, kind of attacked uh, – you know, Mike Oresco and the American, and I, I sit here and say, well, what did you want the American to do? If you if you don't have the autonomous five designation next year conference, uh, which the American doesn't, you are very limited, right? And so I think they went out and they got the best group that they could get. 
Um, I think they did some strategic things. They obviously they got some deep. They got some decent markets. They kept some big markets. They lost some markets, but they got some big markets back. The other thing I think they did strategically was they they held a big stronghold right in Texas. So they added three schools to SMU. Now you have four. That does a couple things, right? Keeps recruiting for the for your conference in Texas. There's some TV markets, big ones. It keeps in Texas. Um, it keeps all those Texas schools in a good spot for sports other than football. And the other thing it does, Jeff, it keeps the Mountain West, right, from coming in there and grabbing those schools and coming into Texas. So I think he did the right thing. You know, you bring FAU in, I think that's the logical uh, position to kind of replace them. You lose one Florida school in UCF, well, you you bring FAU in, you keep them, South Florida. I think Charlotte was a good move, big market. They're kind of aligned with UCU. And UAB was obviously the no-brainer, hot Hotbed of football in Birmingham, brand new stadium. So, uh, I, I, you know, I think the one that kills everyone is Rice. But, you know, Rice ended up having a big win this week. It's a great academic institution. It's in Houston, and it aligns with those other Texas schools. So I think Mike Oresco did the best he could do with, with, with his options out there. Yeah, and, you know, like Conference USA really got squeezed in the middle over the last couple of years because, you know, the Americans been so dominant. And then a conference you've covered quite a bit, the Sun Belt, has really been on the rise. Well, and you got to remember, too, and I'm not just saying this because I work for ESPN. So the Sun Belt and the American have TV contracts with ESPN. So, you know, you're on TV every week. You're on national TV every week. And if it's a game that they kind of move, they put it on ESPN Plus, which they do with everything. But my point is, nationally, you are on every week. Unfortunately, Conference USA with their TV deal with Stadium and Facebook, and they're on CBS a little bit, you, those schools kind of just fall away. You don't see them. And when you run the numbers, I think those Conference USA schools were getting $400,000 a year per school. You look at what, you know, uh, the Americans getting up over $7 million, Sun Belt well into the million. So it, it was kind of a no-brainer for those Conference USA schools to make those moves. And, you know, we didn't even talk about the one that's doing the best that, that the American got in Texas in uh, UTSA. I would argue if UTSA was on national TV every week, a la Coastal Carolina last year, they would even be higher in the rankers, rankings, even getting more national recognition. Yeah, I definitely take your word for that. That's for sure. Um, you, you brought up UCF, uh, four and three on the season under first year coach Gus Malzahn. Uh, what has been your take on, on their season to date? Yeah, I mean, injuries, uh, a lot of injuries, uh, some upheaval. I know some guys hit the transfer portal and left. So, uh, it, it hasn't met the expectations to what they wanted to this year. That happens to teams each and every year. You get injuries, you get decimated, especially when you, lose your quarterback, you lost some tough games, um, but they're fighting, right? They get a good win at home against Memphis. Uh, they get Temple next week. That's one you got to get. Tulane isn't playing well this year. That's another one you got to get. And then you get a chance to knock off a ranked team if SMU stays ranked. So you really have a chance to finish strong, um, you know, not, you know, win a conference championship like you wanted to or, or contend for the uh, New Year's Six Bowl game, but you can still end with a really good record uh, and go to a nice bowl game. And that would be a, a good first year, I think, for Gus Malzahn to build on because it looks like they're recruiting really well. I was looking at their Twitter today. Um, you know, they got the invite to the Big 12. So everything's looking good for UCF. They just got to fight fight through this season and, and finish, finish hard. 
Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, losing Dylan Gabriel obviously is a, has a, has such a huge impact, and uh, and Coach Malzahn is using a bit of a two quarterback system, and he says he doesn't like to use it, but that's his best chance to win. Um, my issue with the two quarterback system is it seems like you know when Mikey Keene's in rhythm and he brings in the other quarterback and he brings in Ga- Joey Gatewood, it kind of brings things to a breaking halt. <laughs> Yeah, and there's no doubt. I mean, if you ask any quarterback, that that's the biggest thing. It's the rhythm, right? It takes you out of rhythm. Um, we've seen some schools do it uh, more successfully than others. Um, but, yeah, but you hit it on the head. That, that's the, the rhythm thing. And, and I really think it, that a lot of that's on Gus in that you need to watch the game. And if I know if Gatewood's supposed to go in for a series or two and, and Mikey's uh, in a rhythm or vice versa, right? you got to just tell that other player, hey, we're going to let him go. I know as a, as a former running back, you know, you, you get in systems where you want to roll different running backs through, but a running back will have a hot hand, and those coaches will say, we're going to let him go. Let him keep going. Let him get another six, seven, eight carry. So a lot of it, I think, is on the coaches just to kind of watch and see if a particular player is in rhythm. Just let him keep going. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about Cincinnati earlier, and you mentioned SMU. Um, you know, they've got a big game with Houston uh, coming up this week. And then, uh, you, you know, SMU's got a big, uh, tough run down the stretch, and they've been off to hot starts. And is this the year they finally prove they can win in November? <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. And listen, there was a game earlier in the year, if you remember, I think it was their third game of the year. Louisiana Tech had them beat, and they won on a legitimate, uh, SMU won on a legitimate Hail Mary, the last play of the game. But you know what? You need some of that luck, right, to go <laughs> your way. If you want to run the table, as I bring up their schedule, you're right, at Houston. And listen, they're kind of flying under the, the radar. Dana Holgerson's having a good year in Houston. Um, and, and they got they got a, a big overtime win last week with a five-hour delay against East Carolina. And we know how uh, improved ECU is. But you're right, uh, at Houston, at Memphis, although Memphis is having kind of a down year for them, they're still a team that can hurt you. Then they get UCF. Cincinnati and then Tulsa. So you're right. SMU has a kind of bit of a gauntlet, if you will, at the end here. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish out the season. Yeah. And then I wonder if there will be any impacts of, you know, you know Texas Tech fired Matt Wells. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, Sonny Dyke's name has come up for that job almost immediately. And of course, his uh, his dad was a legendary coach sure. there. Uh, you know, that could be uh, that could have some impact. Would would you think? Sure. I mean, Sonny Dykes, his name's coming up. Jeff Trailer from UTSA that we just talked about, his name's coming up. And so, yeah, uh, but Sonny Dykes, I think, is probably the number one target. He's a big Texas guy. Uh, obviously, we've seen what he did, uh, what he's done at SMU. He's a former Power 5 coach. And as you mentioned, his dad's a legacy uh, guy, coach there. And so a lot of familiarity. So, yeah, I would think right now Sonny would probably be the number one uh, target for Texas Tech. Yeah, and uh, again, we've seen how those uh, things uh, can either can either hurt a team or they're able to fuel and, and ignore it, uh, much like UCF did with Scott Frost. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. So uh, what is your uh, what is your game assignment this week, sir? Yeah, I got Pac-12 this week, so I got a uh, a an Arizona team that is just on a losing streak, looking to break that streak. Unfortunately, they've won 19 straight. I was researching today. Their last win was October 5th, 2019 at Colorado. So you got to feel for those kids. I mean, new coach and Jed Fish is there, and 
And you listen, when you take over a program and now they've lost 19 straight, you've got kids on that roster that have never won a college game, right? You're younger players, so you got to learn how to win again. So, And they go to USC, um, who just came off a loss at Notre Dame. But, you know, USC's a blue blood, right? I mean, they let go of Clay Helton, and so uh, Dante Williams is the interim coach, and there's a lot of talent on that team. they got a, they got a wide receiver, and if you haven't seen him this year, Drake London for USC, who's – arguably one of the top two or three players in college football this year, um, six foot five wide receiver does it all. Um, just having a phenomenal season, their, their quarterback, Keaton Slovis. So, um, always fun when you get a, a, a power five game like that in the pac 12. So, uh, that'll be a good one. Yeah. And, uh, which, uh, which ESPN network will you be on? Yeah. So that'll be ESPNU prime time. I want to say it's seven 30, uh, it might be seven. I could be off on that, but it's seven seven thirty ESPNU Saturday night. Yeah, and are you traveling? I know you got to go out to a game last yeah, week, no, but you. I, but... I, I, I am not. It's weird. So I traveled Thursday. I was like a kid in a candy store. I did a, a midweek uh, Thursday night Sun Belt game. Louisiana, who's having a great season. Uh, Arkansas State, who's rebuilding under Butch Jones, but it was a great game, twenty eight twenty seven. And I just loved being there. I will be back in the confines of my home office uh, this week, uh, but I got a feeling. Uh, with all the midweek games starting to come, midweek max starts, not this week, but next week, and so a lot more. So I think I might be traveling uh, more towards the end of the season here. Yeah, because you got to travel decently last year. Now, this yeah, year, well, you... that's, that's the irony. I traveled last year while everyone was home. So, you know, it is what it is. As long as I'm working games, I'm happy. But it, it is much better traveling. It's just, it's a, it, you can see more from the broadcast booth. You're very limited um, with your monitors, you know, when you're doing it from an at-home studio or at a, at a specific studio. But, uh, you know, we technology is such where you can do it that way. So I don't, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, so give me, you know, is it, do, you, do you forget you're at home sometimes when you're doing a game? Uh, uh, no, I don't because my dogs are usually barking <laughs> and i got to try to shut them up. So that keeps you in. Um, listen, I, I love, legitimately love calling college football. So I, I get engrossed in the game, and I, you know, I'm sitting there, and and I got my different monitors, and then you know, I'm you know, audio wise, I'm plugged into everybody. I can I can talk to my partner, I can talk to the the producer, I can talk to the statistician. So you know, there's a lot going on, even though it's an at home broadcast. It's just you know, when you're in that booth, though, I, you know, you're just kind of watching everything, I and mean, that's the hardest thing when you're in a studio is. You just, you just, you don't, you can't sense the feel of the crowd. You can't, you know, I like to look at all the different referees, their mannerisms, uh, players away from the ball, the, the bench is someone working out that on a bike that maybe got banged up a couple plays earlier. I kind of like to watch everything, the wind, what's going on with the weather. So, you know, you, you're just very limited when you're at a lot at a, at a at home studio. Yeah, and you probably get, you know, your wife probably come walks around on a Saturday. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, she usually leave, takes the dogs and leaves um, just so there's not an issue. But she actually had knee, knee surgery about a month ago. So she's kind of like house-ridden. She can't really go anywhere. So she's kind of out there. And there's obviously such a delay from me to the network broadcast that she really can't even watch my particular game because – she can hear me like seven or eight seconds before it plays there, so she she usually puts another game on. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, as always, we do appreciate your time. Where can folks follow you on Twitter? Yeah, at 
it just had my name at Rene Angolia. It's R E N E I N G O G L I A. If you can't spell it, once you start trying to type it in, I can guarantee you I'm the only Rene Angolia. So uh, it, it'll pop up. Yeah, you are the one and only, sir, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> Thanks so much. We always enjoy ta- talking college football with you, my friend. Great stuff, Jeff. Anytime. Thank you. And we'll be right back to close out with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here, virus or no virus. And that might be the oldest TV theme we've played to date so far to close out the show. Perry Mason, which was on CBS from September 1957 to May 1966. The title character portrayed by Raymond Burr, a Los Angeles criminal defense lawyer. Uh, he was He originally appeared in detective fiction by Earl Stanley Gardner. Many of those episodes are based on stories written by him. In fact, they... Uh, Tried a new Perry Mason 1973 revival with a different cast, but it didn't fly. We only ran 15 episodes. Then in 1985, Burr returned to play Mason in a, in a successful series of Perry Mason television films on NBC. 30 were made. Burr starred in 26 of them before his death in 1993. And most of the episodes go like this. Clients who have been wrongly charged, most often a time of Murder. He is ably assisted by his confidential secretary, Della Street, and private investigator, Paul Drake. The innocent suspect is usually prosecuted by District Attorney Hamilton Berger, though the prosecution is handled by a local district attorney when the murder takes place out of L.A. The police investigation is usually led by what they would consider an incompetent homicide detective, Lieutenant Arthur Tragg. So typically, first half of the show, which is the client who hires Mason or becomes acquainted with him, and the murder victim, other important figures, cases are introduced, and then the client finds himself on the wrong end of the accusation. And after the crime, Trag and Berger work to gather evidence against Mason's innocent client uh, with the help of Paul Drake and Della Street engaging in parallel investigation in order to exonerate said suspect. And then the second half of the, ha- of the, of the show, Mason and Berger will spar off in the courtroom and... Uh, as they advance, Berger and Trag often uncover, under, often uncover new evidence, I should say, or a new witness that would seem to seal the fate of the accused. And then Mason's team, they come up with a trump card. <laughs> and so it goes. And eventually, Mason wins. Hamilton Berger, lifetime record against Perry Mason, 0 and 427. And he kept his job as a DA. <laughs> As we mentioned, Perry Mason was played by Raymond Burr, Della Street by Barbara Hale, Paul Drake was played by William Hopper, Hamilton Berger was played by William Tallman, 
Uh, he missed parts of season three and four, and Lieutenant Trag was played by Ray Collins. Uh, really was mostly in series, seasons one through three. Then illness uh, kind of limited his appearances over the courses of the next three seasons. Although he did not appear after uh, midway of season seven, they credited him in every episode through the end of season eight. Perry Mason, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.